Hey, this is Chris. I'm traveling this week, and so there won't be a new episode of Amateur Traveler, but I would like to bring you one of these episodes from our archives, which I think you will enjoy. Amateur Traveler, episode 628. Today, the Amateur Traveler talks about iconic hotels and indoor gardens, Little India, Chinatown, and Peranakan culture, and hawker centers as we go to Singapore. Welcome to the Amateur Traveler. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. Let's talk about Singapore. I'd like to welcome to the show Ashley Hall, who is coming to us from Singapore and coming to talk to us about Singapore. Ashley, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. How's it going? You are not originally from Singapore. No, by my accent, you might have picked I that up. I might have picked that up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm originally British. I've lived in a couple of different countries in Europe, but I've moved to Singapore six months ago. Got it. And Britain and Singapore are just so alike. They're both wet islands. Just one's hot, one's cold. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. And why should someone go to Singapore? So I was just reading this morning, actually. Apparently now it's the fifth most visited city in the world. So lots of people are interested in right now. Really? Yeah. So what's really put it at the top of people's minds, especially, I guess, in the US, is a film out called Crazy Rich Asians. (laughs) A first film with an all-Asian cast, and it's set in Singapore. It's really about by an author who, who lived here. Uh, it's a great book to read as well, rather than maybe watching the film. But it's got a lot of people interested about the architecture. Um, it's a super modern city. Right. I fell in love with it a couple of times after I visited. And people think of Marina Bay Sands, which is the, the futuristic hotel that's mm-hmm. in a reclaimed part of the town. It's just like a super modern and accessible way to enjoy Asia. Excellent. And what would you recommend we do when we come to Singapore? I think the most important thing to think about when you come to Singapore is the climate. So if I can share with you, the first time I came, I was visiting because my sister married a Singaporean and I wanted to come and check out the place and uh, meet the family. But I didn't think I had my expectations set about how hot and sticky it was going to (laughs) be. And I say this because I couldn't stand it. First time after I was leaving Singapore, I'm like, I'm so pleased to be getting out of here. I want to go back somewhere cool because I just wasn't ready for it. But time after time, I got sent back there for work. And the, the place grew on me. So my recommendation would be, be aware that it's going to be hot and sticky and pack accordingly. Pack light clothes and mm-hmm. try and reorder your day. So the schedules I'm going to give you, with that in mind, that we're going to try and keep you indoors during the midday sun and then enjoying these nice evenings, shorts and t-shirt weather evening. Okay. I've advised arriving during the week because the, the attractions will be quieter. So if you're coming in from the US, most US flights are coming in in the morning. Some European direct flights arrive in the morning as well. Some poorly timed ones come in in the afternoon. So settle in and arrive. Get your bearings. Start adjusting to the heat. Try and walk around a little bit to walk off the jet lag. I think a a great way, once you've done that, is to head over to the Flower Dome, the gardens by the bay. Okay. Just the other side of the Marina Sands. Exactly. Behind Marina Bay Sands, there are two iconic domes, which you'll Mm -hmm. recognize from Singapore skyline. And... They're great because they're air-conditioned, firstly. Let's just, just be honest. They're, they're inside, um, but it's a really interesting place. There's two domes. One is called the Flower Dome, and it's quite a dry... When you go inside, it's warm, but it's, it's dry. And it's 
it's exhibiting flowers from all over the world. So it's specialised in stuff that's from Southeast Asia. They also have a nice subtropical garden as well. So it's just nice to walk around there and adjust. But the real killer, the, the thing that I absolutely love about Singapore, it's my favourite, is the cloud forest dome. Mm-hmm. So it's super interesting. They've simulated, I'm going to get a bit geeky about this because I'm a geographer by training. They've simulated a cloud forest. So sort of what you'd see in places like Costa Rica, they've increased the temperature, increased the humidity, but like kept it relatively cool. So you get, there's two layers to it. And you've got one layer, which is, I think, simulating like a thousand foot. And then the next layer up another 500 feet. So you see in this one attraction, two different altitudes of flora. And it's amazing. They've got waterfalls. It's misty. You get amazing views of the city because it's like a huge greenhouse. You can see the downtown from there. And yeah, it's just a really interesting exhibit. Well, and the one reason you can see the downtown from there is that it's multi-level. So it's not, mm. it's not a flat dome. You're climbing up into this. It's, I thought it was great, too. I completely agree with your assessment that I've only been in the cloud dome. I haven't been in the flower dome. Uh, so if you're short on time, just do the cloud forest. Mm-hmm. They do a combined ticket. So if you, you can get a ticket to both. And then if you get that, you also have access to something called the tree walks, which is what I'd recommend doing straight after. Mm-hmm. So anyone who's familiar with David Attenborough's BBC Planet Earth series will know that, I mean, it's, pr- it's a pretty gloomy story about the world environment, but I found it really interesting how he ended one of the series by saying he held up Singapore as the example. And there were shots of, of these magical trees. And they're, so they are artificial <laughs> trees. So Singapore's created this, all this area on reclaimed land within the last 10 years, which is why I was excited to come on the show and talk about it, because mm-hmm. the last episode was about 10 years ago. So anyone who hasn't been recently... There's loads more stuff to do. And they've created this brand new downtown area and they've given it over completely to this garden because the advantage of being in the tropics is amazing flora and fauna and uh, really a great environment to grow that stuff in. These tree walks, they've laced together artificial materials and then allowed plants to grow up them. So they are like a human created forest, which is super interesting. And David Attenborough was just saying, hey, this is the future of what cities should be not keeping nature out of cities, but bringing them in, being sensitive to your environment. And the treetop walks, there's an elevator which takes you up quite high, and then you walk between these trees, and probably 10 stories up, I guess. So you have, a, again, a really nice view of the city, and I'm recommending doing this in the late afternoon time, 4 p.m. onwards, when it's got cooler. So yeah, that's a super interesting attraction. Well, and my understanding is the purpose of these artificial trees is that they're the cooling towers rather for the two domes oh i didn't know that that makes them even more interesting (laughs) so i guess you've got a couple of options now by the way just to orientate you you're in southeast singapore right now Mm -hmm. that's where the cbd is and the the all the shots that you see of singapore are taken that's the southeast singapore is a small island it's about the size of london geographically in the east is the airport which you'll fly into and it just takes only about 15 minutes to get to town so we're still in southeast the city. And you mentioned that's where the CBD is, the Central Business District. Singaporeans love abbreviations. <laughs> if you try to listen to a traffic report here, like this AYE and the KPE, yeah, get ready for some Singlish and some uh, abbreviations when you arrive. Okay. So now that you've finished doing the tree walk, I'd recommend staying in the southeast of the city, staying in the CBD, and going to grab some dinner. The thing you should know about Singapore, and I think the thing that grew on me every time I kept going, was the food. Mm-hmm. There's a saying that if you throw chopsticks in the air, it will probably land in something edible in Singapore. And something that excites me is it's got a 
amazing Chinese food, but also due to the history and the different communities that live there, you can have world-class Indian food. You can have world-class Malaysian food. Um, it's a really special place to eat. And I, I'd say that is next to the Flower Dome, the, the main attraction. You'll be eating really well here. <laughs> okay. So my favorite place to eat while you're in the area is called Lao Passat. That's its local name. Or on Google Maps, it's called Telok Ayer Hawker Center. Mm -hmm. They're a candidate for a world heritage site in that they are so special to Singapore. The culture around them is so important that UNESCO believes that they might be worth preserving in themselves. There's a huge culture of communal eating. So very few people cook here. It's a lot cheaper actually to eat out. And the way you do that cheaply is to eat at these local hawker centers. They are, I don't know, about 50 years ago, the government said, let's bring all the people who serve food outside into these sanitized buildings. We'll maintain the buildings. We'll make sure there's great hygiene facilities. And then you can eat great street food inside. And that's just how Singaporeans eat. It's the most local experience you can have. But the iconic one, one of the oldest, is Lao Pasak, which literally means old market. Oh, I should say, the interesting thing about Singapore being a mix of cultures is that's actually a word that's stolen and misspoken from a few languages. So Lao is, it means old in, I believe, Mandarin, but it could be Cantonese. And Pasak is a copy of a Malaysian word that was copied from Bazaar, from Persia, when there used to be Persian merchants here. So just the name of it illustrates the interesting cultural mix and how amazing Singapore is. Anyway, so you're heading over to this market. Next door to the market, there is a seating area and there's a, it's called Satay Street. So you can go and have one of the, the iconic dishes of Singapore, which is walk down the road and you can pick from any number of vendors to eat satay. You can sit outside. It's all smoky. It's really atmospheric. And it's literally right next to some of the top hotels in the town, but they've still got this street food culture going on. If you want to head inside, there's also options you can choose. I love it if you go in a group because one person can, can have Chinese food. I can stick to Indian, which is my favorite. So everyone comes back to the table with their tray. It's like a cafeteria and you can all have exactly the food you want and share it with the people around you. Excellent. And again, Singapore's pretty small. So sticking on the same day one to that where you are right now, I'd head back towards Marina Bay Sand because every night, I think twice a night, I think occasionally they do really special shows of this. There's a light show around the downtown area. So it's kind of like what they do in Hong Kong. They light up the buildings, they fire lasers from Marina Bay Sand. It's really cool to watch. It's a really nice conclusion to the day to feel that you've seen this amazing nature in the flower domes, you've eaten really good food, and then you're just watching what is now a super modern city and sitting enjoying the view you can do it for free you can stand on the waterfront in front of marina bay sands and watch this or you could head up to a rooftop bar which is an increasingly popular thing to do there's a really great one that i like on top of the art museum it's nice it's not too expensive and it's got a great view or you could choose to go up to the top of marina bay sands as a super iconic bar and if you're staying at the hotel, you can also go to the Infinity Pool, which I, I heard is like one of the most Instagram spots in the world. I could believe that. <laughs> well, and for those who can't picture the hotel that he's talking about, this is a, the hotel that's three towers, as I recall, but then joined mm -hmm. on the roof level. Mm -hmm. And so it's the letter M in some, in some fashion in terms of what it looks like. And it is definitely an iconic site for Singapore. Not an old site, not like this has been there forever, but it is at least within the last 10 years. I don't, I don't know how old hotel is. It was there when we talked about it 10 years ago. So 
Oh, was it? Um, I think it must have just been opening then. So, yeah, that whole area has just been reclaimed. It's all pretty new down there. Okay. But it's a landmark attraction. Like, I think Singapore figured they were a stopover destination for a long time because they had a great airline and they were well positioned for flights between Europe and Australia. Like the same way Dubai is doing. They're like, let's try and get people to stay here longer. Let's get, get them off the plane and come and enjoy what we've got to offer here. And you need to have a landmark destination like that. And I am wrong. It opened April 27th, 2010. So it is less than 10 years old. Okay. Excellent. Where to next? That, so we finished up the first day? Day one. So get lots of sleep. You're, if you're coming from Europe or the US, you'll be jet lagged. Although I should say, I think Australia should be a super popular Arrival destination, so you should, shouldn't be too bad if you're coming up from Australia. So here on day two, I'd like to call this a day where you get to see Asia from Singapore. So I mentioned that <laughs> it's an interesting mix of cultures, and at least one growing up in the UK, I didn't have quite the same exposure to. Maybe if you're in a city like LA or New York, you have a Chinatown that you can go mm-hmm. and see. But Singapore's got that, and it's got a little India, and it's got an equivalent of little Middle East, I suppose. I'm really excited to take guests around that tour and show, hey, we're going to go around Asia today to each of the parts of town that are associated with those communities. So maybe the, the, the best thing to do, and by the way, this is an eating tour. Like this is very much about. <laughs> you already warned us that is the theme here with Singapore. And I, I was there only for three days, but that was the theme when I was there as well. <laughs> yeah, it's important to know that these areas of town are not necessarily designed for entertainment. I'd especially say that of Little India. Mm-hmm. But if, if you've never been to India and you want to have a feeling of like what the streets are like or what the shops are like, it's a, it's a really nice immersion. So I'm excited to take people there. So kicking off, depending on where you're staying in town, you, you're probably going to be in front of some water. So to orientate yourself, you might want to take a, a water taxi tour. There's a couple of different vendors, and I recommend doing it in the morning, mainly because it's cool, mainly because there'll be very few other people doing it at that time. And the city will just be waking up, right? So it's nice to see downtown as it starts waking up and the banks start working. And then make sure you head over then after your tour to Chinatown is a great place to start. And when you say water taxi tour, where all would you go on a water taxi tour? There are a couple of canals or or rivers that feed into the ocean in the southeast of the city. And the taxis normally go along one of those rivers. You'll know where you are because you'll be in front of somewhere called Boat Key, Robertson Key, and there's another key that I've forgotten the name of. But these keys are pretty much like beating social heart of the town that are next to the banks. So I guess after you've done your day, day of work in one of the big towers, you head to the river and these keys like have drinks, have good food. It's a really, really lively district, and it's along those keys that the boats go. Okay. And then for people who are trying to look that up, that is the English key, which is spelled... Q-U-A-Y. <laughs> Sorry, not the American key, which is spelled key E-Y. Oh, I okay. didn't know that was special to or everyone. Yeah, I, say, I, I always wanted to call that Quay when I see it, but I know that that is not how it is pronounced. Yeah, and just for like a short piece of history, like that, that used to be the trading area. So the reason why it's low-rise, it used to be used as like the way where you drop off goods and exchanges would happen because Singapore's history is that it was an entrepot. It was a trading port and it, mm-hmm. it was almost nothing before it was settled and it was was a super strategic position between europe and and asia so it grew up being this it attracted people in different communities because there were great work opportunities there and it was yeah a trading port okay 
Okay, so we're heading over to Chinatown now. And there's a couple of temples to look at there. Like, weirdly, there's a Hindu temple that's in Chinatown, which is kind of nice to look at. But there's also mm-hmm. uh, a really famous temple. I think it's called the Buddha's Tooth Temple. Yes. And it's just atmospheric. Like, it's right next to the markets. They should hopefully start to be open at that time of day. So you can look around the market, maybe shop for some interesting items, and then head over to the temple. And it's just really interesting to soak up. That's at least the first Buddhist temple that I'd ever been to. So I found it a really interesting experience to, to walk around and just soak up the atmosphere. Now, we're coming to a late morning now. And the reason why I've sent you to Chinatown is because I want you to be able to have the cheapest Michelin star. <laughs> okay. So Singapore's, I told you about the Singapore's food culture and the hawker culture. Mm-hmm. There are two hawkers that the Michelin Guide has awarded a, a star. And the amazing thing is that they haven't raised their prices. It's still about three Sing dollars, which is about pound fifty, to have this incredible world-class food. And it's just an experience that you can only have in Singapore, I think. So the famous one is Hawker Chan. He has a stool in the Chinatown Hawker Center, the Chinatown complex. Or you can head over, he's also got a restaurant now. So you can expect to queue sometimes up to an hour for food at the stall. It's a bit quicker at the restaurant. The more authentic way is to go see the original place and, and go to the Chinatown complex. Yeah, we I saw it when I was there, but we did not queue up and, and try it. So I I have missed that that experience. Yeah, I mean, people get put off by the queue. I've also read some funny reviews that say, I can't believe I was served like with wooden chopsticks and with on a plastic cup, on a plastic <laughs> plate. And I'm like, oh, come on, it's like $3. Like, that's the charm of it, is that it's exceptional, simple food. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you are inside for that time. So you've had a long lunch. At least the Hawker Centers, they're not air-conditioned, but they do have fans, so it's a little cooler to try and stay out the mid midday heat. Mm-hmm. It's worth saying another way to combat that issue is to make sure you're carrying around a water bottle, take sunscreen. Don't underestimate the fact that maybe because half the time in Singapore it's cloudy, mm-hmm. you should be really careful of the sun. So make sure you're dressed appropriately. So in the afternoon, I'll be sending you over to Little India. So again, I reinforce the point. It's an area to walk around and enjoy. There's some murals on the side of houses which you might want to grab some photos of. But again, the attraction here would be to head to the Hawker Center in Little India. And there you can have amazing, authentic, everyday Indian food, which coming from the UK, I guess there's a bias towards food from the Punjab region. It's not vegetarian. And I realize as much as I love that food, it's not, it doesn't really reflect what you eat in India every day. So mm-hmm. going to that Hawker Center will be a great experience for you to try a biryani, to try great vegetarian food, consistently really great local experiences there. So last time I was there, I remember sitting down with a tray and I was eating my, eating my lunch, kind of playing on my phone. And this guy, just Indian guy came over and said, why have you got no tea? <laughs> oh, I guess I didn't fancy any tea. I'm not in the mood right now. And he, without even asking me, he just walked away and he bought me masala chai, which is the drink that you have. It's like a sugary, milky drink that you mm-hmm. have after the eating India food. And, he, and then he just sat down and told me, he was a young guy. He just got out of the Singaporean National Service. And he was just telling me these really great stories. And we had a, just a nice interaction. And consistently there, people have helped me learn how to eat Indian food. They told me about where the food is from. So just put down your phone, engage with the people around you, smile, and it will be a... They don't get too many tourists there, so it will be a nice experience. Hmm. Also around Little India, if you're interested, there's a ton of jewellery and gold shops. 
Mm-hmm. If you want a local recommendation, if you want to be, there's a funny store which we call here Amazon.com offline. Imagine if Amazon just emptied its warehouse into the into a department store in no particular order. It's called the Mustafa Center. So you can pick up at low prices crockery and gifts and food, but they serve all if, all different types. It's a place where locals shop, but it's super crammed. It's in no order, but it's fun if you want to pick up some cheap items and have an interesting experience. Excellent. So I hope you're not full already. I hope you've just been eating street (laughs) food or sharing food already because you've got two choices for dinner. You either stick around in Little Little India and you choose to go to one of the restaurants there. There are loads to choose from. I couldn't even pick out a good Indian restaurant. You're going to have a good time. Speak to the people at lunch. Get recommendations from your hotel. But you could stay around Little India for a proper sit-down dinner. Or you could head over to a third part of town that I really like. And I was there last night, actually, with a friend. It's special. It's the, it's the Middle Eastern corner, and it's centered around a golden mosque. Mm-hmm. It's got a couple of different names, but I think the most consistent name I've heard this part of town called is Haji Lane, which refers to the main thoroughfare that goes through this area. So it's cute. It's got small, traditional Singaporean houses, so it retains its heritage. And it's sort of where... Yeah, it's where Middle Eastern, Persian traders settled, and therefore you can get good Turkish food. You can get great Lebanese food. Mm-hmm. And also, for some reason, there is good Peranakan food there as well. Peranakan being the people who were born in Singapore, um, raised in Singapore during the colonial period. So, like, straits-born Chinese or straits-born Malaysian communities. Well, in my impression, and this is having gone to the Peranakan Museum, is that it's also related to the kind of mixing of cultures, if I have that correct. Yeah, I, I was looking at this last night because I was interested. Um, apparently, there are even Portuguese Peranakans who have mixed their culture with mm-hmm. Southeast Asia and settled. Because Singapore is a really recent country, really recently settled, and it's still, you see that early melting pot effect. And, and yeah, Peranakan food is just this fusion of Chinese, Malaysian, Indonesian food, and it's superb. Mm-hmm. Well, and to understand that better, I do actually recommend the Peranakan Museum that talks yeah. about that culture and has some exhibits and about that particular Singaporean culture. You've been talking about the strategic location, and if people haven't done so already, I encourage you to look at your globe or your Google Maps and zoom out a bit so you're not just looking at Singapore, but you're looking where it sits. And all of this that you've been saying makes a lot more sense if you realize that if you're trying to sail from India over to China, then there's this great long peninsula that goes down from Thailand into Malaysia and at the end is Singapore. And you have to go that way because there's this other island, Sumatra, right next to it. So if you don't sail by Singapore, you have to go quite a bit out of the way. And so it's this really tiny strait where all the trade was going through between these two major trading empires. And Singapore is right there. It's right there today, too. So a lot of the ships that you'll see in the harbor are sailing in between those two big trading empires. And so it makes a lot of sense when you think about the mixture of the cultures here, uh, because you also have, obviously, Indonesia is right across the waters here, which is now a Muslim nation. And so they were trading a lot with the Middle East. And so very interesting place. And if you look at the map, it makes sense why it became that place. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And and something I'm I'd love to cover by the end is that 
I don't recommend spending a week or two weeks here in Singapore. You should use its amazing location and the very reason it exists to go and explore those other areas and add on. Go listen to one of the old amateur travelers from Bali or Thailand, but we, we can come to that. Or one of the new ones across the street, rather, to Sumatra. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Excellent. exactly. Yeah. Where to next? So to take us to day three, I think we're going back to this theme of Singapore being a green city. Like, okay. Because one of the most interesting protected spaces and historical spaces there are is the botanic gardens, which I recommend you either do early in the morning or late in the afternoon. It's beautiful late afternoon if you've just had a, one of the traditional mid-afternoon downpours. Fresh, a little cooler, and it feels like you're walking through a rainforest. But the morning is a bit more, the weather's predictable. So it's this very large part of town that's, I'd say it's in the, towards the centre of the island. We're still re- roughly in the southeast, a little bit north of the, the CBD. And I think it's a World Heritage Site as well, actually. It is. It's a public space. It's free to go in. It is one of only three gardens in the world to be honored as a World Heritage Site, which I didn't know. Yeah. And what's special about it is it's not protected, so you can't go and enjoy it. So people treat it like a public park on Mm -hmm. Saturday and Sunday. It's pretty full and lively with people just sitting out enjoying, enjoying themselves. They have a concert venue where they put on free concerts quite often. So I've been to a couple of orchestra recitals and some jazz festivals that happen just right in the middle of the garden. So you grab a rug, you grab a picnic from one of the interesting cafes that are around the gardens, and, and you can just sit and enjoy. Also, what's quite special um, is the orchid garden. You have to pay a couple of dollars to go in there, but it, it's interesting. They breed a new hybrid of their national plant, which is an orchid, for, a digni- for each dignitary that comes. Huh. There's a Thatcher uh, orchid, there's an Obama orchid, and I just think that's a really special gift. And I thought, I hope one day they might make me one, but I know I'd probably kill it, so they probably shouldn't bother. <laughs> You'd feel bummed if they just made you a flower and, and you killed it. So, But that's kind of interesting. You can walk around and see the dignitaries that have visited and the flowers that they've made for them. And I should say, like, this is a nice way to, if you've not seen a, a rainforest-like environment, if, if you're not from that part of the world, being in the botanic gardens, you can follow the paths around and you start taking these twists and turns and you can... If you catch it on a day when it's not so popular, you can start to figure out, wow, I'm, yeah, I, I realize now where I am. I'm on the equator. I'm in Southeast Asia. And there's a reason why, yes, it's hot and wet, but there's this beautiful forest that I'm in and these, these really interesting plants and birds that are flying around. Someone who's into birds told me there are double the amount of birds that you can see in Singapore than you can see in the British Isles because it's, it's on a migratory route hmm. and it's just super diverse. So, yeah, I, I love that. And it lives up to Singapore's claim of being a green city. Excellent. I did not get there on my trip. It's worth a trip. Maybe we can quickly take an aside about how to get around Singapore. Sure. The public transport system is incredible. It's very well covered by their underground or subway system, which is called the MRT. When you land at the airport, you can grab a card, just like most cities. And each journey costs about 70 cents. Thing. So it's very well priced and it's a very easy air-conditioned way to get around the town there are also buses now that that cover every corner of the island so now if you get a roaming sim card and you just use a mapping provider of your choice to get you around the bus is a really convenient way especially if you're a solo traveler but i would also consider taxis are relatively well priced here currently there's a ride-sharing app called grab that has the sort of monopoly on the market and Traveling in a big group, I'd just say hop in a grab and 
head around town that way because it's cheap and it just gets you to where you need to go. The thing with Singapore is because they punish people who buy cars with very high taxes, there's very rarely traffic congestion. So it's also super easy to get round by car as well, by taxi. Well, and I should say that the only time I've been in Singapore was at the end of the amateur traveler trip to India. I had a connection in Singapore, which, of course, I made it a two-day connection so I could stop and see some friends there. Having gone from India traffic, <laughs> in, in Delhi particularly, where I think the longest I went without hearing a horn was six seconds one time when I counted it, to going mm-hmm. to Singapore, which was great big wide empty streets, was quite jarring. It was like I was on a different planet. That's why I'm talking about building this into a tour of Southeast Asia, because it's often called Asia light. That's why people mm-hmm. like being expats here and they set themselves up here as their base. A lot of American companies have set this is their first foothold into Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good place to start your trip because it starts acclimatizing you to the time zone and the climate, but without, and in English, by the way, if, any, if we haven't made this clear already, Singapore is a native English-speaking country. They have a slight dialect called Singlish, but mm-hmm. it's very easy to get around. And this starts adjusting you to where you are in the world. It's very accessible. Excellent. Where to next? So, next, you've got a couple of options based on your location, um, depending on what you want from a holiday. So, as I said, Singapore's trying to position itself as a, as a longer stopover destination. So, you might be interested to going to, going to the resort island that's called Sentosa. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of different things to do on that island. There's a great aquarium. There's a theme park. They've got a Universal Studios now, like quite a kind of compact one. So it's good if you're traveling with kids to head there. Or if you're relaxing, there's a couple of beach clubs there. So you can go there and sit on the sand and have a drink. I wouldn't say this is the highlight because Singapore is on a shipping route. That's by definition where it, why it's there. So you see oil tankers going in front of you. So the beaches aren't perfect, but it's just nice to sit by the water and relax, maybe decompress from the fact that you're in this super hectic city and you've been running around eating lots of food. The Sentosa area is a nice place to chill out. And this is the southern tip of Singapore, just off the southern tip of Singapore. Yeah, it's near my office, towards the southwest of the island. Yeah. Alternatively, if you end up spending a long time in the Botanic Gardens and you've caught lunch there and you're really enjoying yourself, as you're you're a little far north already, you might want to consider going even more north, to one of the premier attractions of Singapore, which is the Night Safari. So the Night Safari is, it's a really interesting marketing, remarketing of the zoo, which is there all the time. You can turn right. up to the zoo and you tell me like, but maybe because of the humidity and the, the climate, maybe also because animals behave differently at night and you see different animals. They set up this really great tour where you hop on a tour bus with a guide and they drive you around and it's not really like being on a safari, but it's a really nice way of seeing the animals behave differently and, and, and seeing the zoo from a different point at night. So hmm. there's no walking involved. You just get to sit down and, uh, and be taken around. You can also tour it by foot if you like, but the, the night safari is a really special thing that I haven't heard of in many other places in the world. So that's uh, about the right time of day to do it, and it's special for Singapore. Excellent. And that brings us to the end of day three, and I think by this point, most people would be thinking about heading on to the next destination in Southeast Asia. Because Singapore is an, it has one of the busiest airports in the world, that's Changi Airport, and some great connections. So that's why it's traditionally been a great stopover location. And they, it's funny because the lo- most local thing to do is, the joke is, is to leave Singapore. So on, their, <laughs> on National Day, 
So we get National Day off as, as a holiday, but the real Singaporeans aren't in Singapore. They've headed over to Malaysia. You can drive to Malaysia, or rather right. get a bus to Malaysia. I wouldn't drive to Malaysia. You can head over to Malaysia. You can get very cheap, low-cost flights to these amazing islands. So think Bali, think Thailand, and, and start exploring. Alternatively, you can grab a cruise. Sentosa is also a, a big cruise stop. So if you want to start a slightly longer trip, if you want someone else to handle the heading around Southeast Asia for you, you could also grab a cruise. I was mentioning that when I was in Singapore, I was visiting friends who were doing a work abroad sort of thing. Uh, actually, he works for HP there. Mm -hmm. And I had to time my trip when they were actually in town because they've been taking advantage of the central location. Every time I look on Facebook, there's someplace else. <laughs> so. Yeah. And for anyone considering it, like I said, I, I actually didn't like Singapore the first time. And by mm -hmm. my fifth visit, I was determined I wanted to live here. So it might really grow on you. And it's a really popular... Because it's so diverse, expats feel really comfortable here. So if you do like Singapore, you might end up wanting to live here, just to warn you. <laughs> right, everyone's on the move. They're taking advantage of the fact that there's a massive air. Because it ultimately is a small island, right? So after maybe a few days as a tourist or a couple of months as, a, as living here, you'll start to feel hemmed in. And you'll want to hop on a plane or a boat and just go and see different places and, and make the most of your time here. Okay. Well, and you're close to so many places you can even do a long weekend in thailand or something like that fairly easily definitely i was last last couple of weeks i was in langkawi so you can head there on a friday friday afternoon there's lots of people at the airport pretending to do work <laughs> on, a late, on a friday afternoon you, you jump on one of those flights and you can be on a beach by friday evening having dinner it's a really special part of singapore of being in that location excellent what else do we want to tell people before we wrap this up you you've got a whole nother set of things here <laughs> if you're still in singapore which by the way i don't recommend rushing off after three days it's just normally all people give you could okay. choose to spread this itinerary out a bit more thinly to make sure you're not rushing and also um we just had some friends over recently so i was asking them what they really loved about singapore so i've kind of got like a miscellaneous slash more local selection for you okay so again things which aren't necessarily like the most popular tourist things but actually stuff that we find ourselves doing day to day when we're here in singapore so you mentioned the Peranakan museum that's a really nice spot to try and get some more history if you're interested in that so there's also the asian civilizations museum that, that tells history from an asian perspective which is a really interesting rebalance there's also the singapore flyer if like the london eye you get a great view from the top i heard that Lee Kuan Yew, who is the, the founding father of Singapore and one mm -hmm. of the prime minister for a very long time, he had the direction of the Singapore flyer reversed because he was told by a consultant that they'll bring better luck to Singapore. So I think <laughs> they spent a couple of million dollars just making it spin the other way. So try and appreciate that when you go on it. <laughs> okay. We've mentioned two things about history. If you want to understand more about Singapore before you get there and it's interesting history, you can pick up Lee Kuan Yew's rather heavy autobiography called From Third World to First World. Hmm. And that really nicely encapsulates in one to two generations, Singapore did go from a maybe what he in his own words is describing as a third world country to one of the richest and uh, safest places in the world. So it's if you want to really get into this history, pick up that book and it will keep you busy for the whole flight. There is no distinguishing sing like Lee Kuan Yew's autobiography from the autobiography of Singapore because he he really was a nation builder, and mm -hmm. people really respect him. My taxi driver this morning said, was saying that, hey, if Lee Kuan Yew was still here, he wouldn't have let Grab come in and disrupt the taxi industry. So, like, he's really the father of Singapore. Mm -hmm. 
So like moving on with the local choices, there's another part of town I haven't mentioned so far yet, which is Geylang. So Geylang's a little further out back towards the airport. It's a funny place. It's, the, it's actually the red light district of Singapore. Um, despite all the like, heavy rules and restrictions there are that keep Singapore looking beautiful and super safe, there's still this space that is like, left to be the red light district. Hmm. But it's kind of interesting. No chewing gum, but prostitution is okay. I can't comment on that. <laughs> okay. Oh, so just to dispel a myth, you can totally bring in chewing gum and chew it all you like. You just can't buy it here. Okay. Bring all the gum you like. And, and no durian on the subway. Yeah. So also you'll, yeah, durian is a really strong smelling fruit that you either love or you hate here. And it's really popular. It's in a lot of desserts and you'll, you'll smell it. Like if there's a funny smell in Chinatown, that's, that's durian. So yeah, Geylang, it's the community, it's a shared community between what I believe to be Malaysian and Arab traders. They kind of set them up there, set themselves up there. And there's some great Malaysian food there. So the hawker centers are around there. If you're not planning to go to Malaysia and you want to eat beef rendang or nasi lemak, which is fried rice, like really good fried rice, mm-hmm. you, can, you can get it there. There's also a nice restaurant called No Name, No Board, No Signboard Seafood. And Singapore's really good <laughs> for its seafood. Uh, yeah, this place obviously is known as that because it doesn't have a signboard, but it's on Google Maps, so you can check it out. There's some incredible uh, food there. One of Singapore's nas- other national dishes, apart from satay, is, is salted crab, salted egg crab. And, mm-hmm. or soft-shell crab, and you can have that there. But the other reason you head over to Geylang in the daytime is that they've got these beautiful shop houses. So the traditional preserved houses and sh- the combined shops and houses that people used to live in in Singapore. Sure. And when it was founded, and they make, it's great for photography. So you've got these beautiful multicolored houses, and, and you can just go down and experience what Singapore looked like maybe 50 years ago. Okay. If you are a hipster traveler. If you feel like you haven't had your smash avocado and your flat white, then you want to be heading over to a part of town to, called Tiong Bahru. And this was founded in the 60s. Like the architecture is interesting because it's Bauhaus or Art Deco, I'm not sure, but like there's low, low rise white buildings, which okay. are really pretty to look around. It's a super popular part of town to live in now. So it's a more, I wouldn't say it's local, but it's where I guess a lot of expats like to live and hang out food is hitting you hard then there's a couple of really nice cafes you can go to there there's also a really popular local hawker center called tiong bairu market upstairs is the food court downstairs is a wet market and a wet market is where you go buy your groceries here Mm -hmm. almost everyone unless you want to buy super expensive stuff in the supermarkets um you buy fresh fish fresh meat fresh vegetables and this particular a wet market is known for its flowers. So again, good for photography or good to just to soak up. How do people shop here? You can try and bargain to get yourself some fruit if you like. Okay. And then now we're getting really local. Some, if you're here, perhaps I'd recommend if you are planning to put Singapore as part of a wider trip to make sure you don't miss your flight home, add in an extra day on the end of your trip to have one night in Singapore to acclimatize and uh, after you land back. Because normally if you're buying... Uh, a second ticket, then it's obviously not a protected connection, and sometimes weather delays flights in Southeast Asia. So let's say this is your last day in Singapore after having traveled around the region. There's this kind of an interesting place called Horpar Villa. That's kind of near Sentosa in the southwest of the island. And all I can describe it as is it's got lots of figurines painted, and it's supposed to be a Chinese representation of what hell looks like. 
So hmm. Singaporean people know it well because parents take their kids there kind of to scare them. <laughs> but okay. it's kind of fallen into disrepair. So it's not that scary anymore, but it's just charming. And the, the story behind it is it's founded or built and paid for by the guy who, who made Tiger Balm. And Tiger Balm is this cure-all medicine paste thing that you can buy. It's great for insect bites, and you can pick it up in the pharmacy here in, in Singapore. But it, it's got this really distinct, distinctive and I smell I really like. So when I walk around Port Parvilla, I'm smelling Tiger Balm at the same time and thinking about this guy who decided he wanted to scare his kids with these like, weird figurines. <laughs> but you can get ghost tours in the evening there. It's a really interesting Singapore experience. Excellent. And finally... For anyone who brought their walking shoes and feel like we haven't spent much time in the countryside, I don't want to represent Singapore as just a built-up jungle. There are some really interesting countryside that you can get out to. So it's a local choice to go to somewhere like McRitchie Reservoir, which is this big water catchment where Singapore saw some of its fresh water, and they've built around it a boardwalk where you can just walk around. You'd want to go there early in the morning or late at night, there's a treetop walk you can do there as well. So it really connects you with the nature. It's a very chilled out thing to do if, you, if you're overwhelmed with the city. And there's monkeys there. There, are, there starts, Singapore back, goes back to it, the natural roots of what used to be there. So there's, it's hot, it's sticky, and it's, and it's got all the nature that goes with Singapore. A more accessible walk for someone who wants a green area is, is the Henderson Wave. It's the highest footbridge in Singapore. It connects... Singapore's very good at connecting its parks to each other, so you can do very long walks, even in quite narrow green spaces. Oh. And that's a very central and accessible walk you can do. So just look, Google Henderson Waves, walk over the bridge, and in- enjoy the walk. Excellent. As we were talking about food, I, one thing has been gnawing at me, and I've been Googling Singaporean food to see if I could come up with it. I tried something that I've never had before. I don't even remember what the name of it was, but it was some sort of deep-fried egg dish that served with things in it, and I darn if I can't even find it. There were so many things that I didn't know what they were in Singapore that were tasty and delicious, but I didn't have a word for them. This was one of those dishes, and I can't even remember what it was called. Sorry, I don't know either, but that will happen to you in Singapore. You're going to be eating (laughs) things. You're going to go around the Hawker Center and point at things you want to try, but yep. don't try and understand. Like, just <laughs> enjoy them, point, see what, see what other people are eating, see what, where the long cues are, and, and embrace it. But actually, I'm really pleased you brought up the one thing that I promised my recent visitor friends that, they, that I'd mentioned in this podcast is the coffee culture in Singapore. Okay. Singapore, as I understand it, has got a messed up coffee culture because of the British influence. <laughs> Not neither Singaporean, neither the Southeast Asian nor the British are very good coffee drinkers yep. so there's a very, a very interesting type of coffee you can buy in singapore called copy it's spelled with a k k-o-p-i and it's essentially by default if you just ask for copy it will be this extremely milky sugary drink and it's made with condensed milk which honestly i haven't seen cooked with since my na- my nan so it kind of dates it <laughs> and connects it to britain in some way it was coffee that was made for British service people who were stationed in Singapore, they were look, looking for ways to keep themselves up and patrol when they were patrolling. This coffee was invented by, um, by people mixing what is really the way British people drink tea with the way the rest of the world drinks coffee. And it's really interesting to see it. It's brewed in a sock. Actually, what I can only describe as a sock, 
inside of a watering can. So when you ask for it, they will lift the watering can to above head height and pour out from the sock this really strong coffee. And I've just got addicted to it. It's really good. It's really cheap. And you can have it in the morning. You can buy it. You can buy it from lots of vendors or from most hawker centers. There's also a couple of chains now, um, like Toast Box or Bread Talk. Those are uh, all over the place. And it's a great way to start the day. Don't take a hotel breakfast. Go and have breakfast for 3 to $5 at one of these, these venues. And it's served with something that may turn your stomach. <laughs> it's called Kaya Toast and Egg, which sounds fine. And, and by the way, Kaya Toast is great. It's like this sugary jam. If you like peanut butter, you'll like Kaya Toast. But it's served with a very, very soft boiled egg. So it's super runny. So you pour in soy sauce, or dark, I think it's just called dark sauce, and you make this black egg mix that you then dip the toast in. So British people will recognize this from egg and soldiers, where you dip bread into a soft-cooked egg. But again, maybe this is a hybrid food. Sorry if the Britain's contribution to food is so terrible, but like it's so... <laughs> Interesting to Singapore, and I'd really recommend trying it. They absolutely, my friends absolutely loved it. It was apparently one of their highlights of Singapore, and it is quite a local experience. So try, so try the egg, the kaya toast, and the coffee together. Okay, I just need to clarify one thing. I could swear that you said something about pouring the coffee from a sock. Yeah. Yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> I did. I did say that. So inside the big watering can is, a, okay, it's probably more best described as a filter. Okay. The vendors call it as themselves a sock. Okay. So uh, it's not actually actual... used sock. Okay, that's that is important distinction there. These are very established. They're not they're not putting anything through socks, don't worry. But it is called a sock. The dish that I was trying to remember it was from an Indonesian restaurant. It's a deep fried tower of egg and tofu. So I see it online at the Pagi Sore Indonesian restaurant. Uh, at least I, there may be other places. I don't know if that's the Indonesian restaurant I went to, but it, it was uh, one of the things that I had never had before that I quite enjoyed there. Sounds great. I should go and try that. <laughs> I'm sure there are many other dishes in Singapore you have not tried yet. We talked about weather. For seasons, what's the best season you think to go to Singapore? Is there enough differentiation to even make a difference? Not really. For where I'm from, it's going to be challenging whatever time of year you go, if I'm just being honest. I looked it up. Look at the rainfall. Apparently, it rains a bit more between November and January. Okay. By the way, if you're looking at a weather forecast right now of Singapore, ignore it. So it will be thunderstorms <laughs> all week. That doesn't mean we have thunderstorms all week. It's normally either, like right now, beautiful in the morning and, mm -hmm. and sunny, or it's overcast. But it tends to range very particularly at one time of day. So you can adapt yourself really quickly, jump out of the rain, carry an umbrella with you. It's, you can overcome that. But yeah, for the weather-wise, I, I wouldn't recommend a particular time of year. Okay. And then in terms of particular days of the year to be in Singapore? Yeah, that's quite interesting. I guess the highlights for me so far have been, there's a, I'm so apologies for a North American audience, but there's a great race called Formula One, mm -hmm. which is a bit more complicated than NASCAR, I guess. <laughs> And it's really interesting because normally it's it, F1 tracks are out of town and they're specialist facilities. Mm -hmm. There are two Formula One races in the world which are held downtown for reasons I have not yet to establish. It's Monaco mm -hmm. and well, it's Monaco, Singapore. there's nothing other than downtown available. So, <laughs> And I guess maybe Singapore wants it but doesn't want to build a racetrack. So for a four-day period of the year, in at the moment it's in August time, August, September time, they just shut down the middle of town and 
these cars, these very high-performance cars, race around downtown Singapore. So you can grab a ticket. They're, they're quite, I guess they're quite pricey, but you can grab a ticket to go into the downtown at this time and just grab a seat or walk around and watch these F1 cars zooming around the streets that you normally walk down or get the bus down. And it's, it's good to watch as well. Even if, if you see it on television, watch the race because you'll see a lot of downtown Singapore. And it's also the only race that happens at night. So it's called the nighttime race. Well, and I should clarify that I can think of at least one more Formula One race that happens downtown, and that is the Grand Prix of Long Beach in California. Oh, okay. And I did not know that until I was in Long Beach. And you see the great big walls that they have put up for safety that are there year-round. And when I was asking, they said, oh, yeah, that's, that's, this is the course for the Grand Prix that happens in Long Beach. Okay, so that was one of the things that you said. Also around that time of year, it's called it's Mid-Autumn Festival, which is loosely a Chinese festival. And the distinct thing that you can eat at this time of year, again, it's about food. Mm-hmm. Like, no one can really explain the cultural basis, but everyone knows what you're supposed to be eating at this time of year, and that's mooncake. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Mooncakes are very high calorie, normally have a salted egg yolk in the mi- middle, but a sweet, soft pastry outside. And the hotels in Southeast Asia particularly compete to make the best mooncake each year. So they compete to make the designs and flavors that people then buy and give to friends, family, or business associates to give good karma or good social connection. So it's, mm-hmm. you give mooncakes to wish people a, a good life and then you eat your mooncake. So there's a kind of mooncake swapping going on. Hotels set out stands in front of the hotels to deal with the volume of people who want to, deal to, to buy mooncake. And I think Chinatown is decorated. Excellent. Another time that uh, Chinatown is decorated is Chinese New Year. So mm-hmm. the whole downtown is transformed. Oh, that part of Chinatown is transformed. Just a bit busier. For the same reason you might not want to come to Singapore at that time because there's more things are starting to close down and it's a bit busier. But if you want to experience Chinese New Year, you can consider coming in January, February time. Mm-hmm. It's also important to say the interesting thing about Singapore is there are four main groups culture or heritage here that comes to that presents a problem about when to decide which national day to take off so essentially each religion gets two days allocation of days of holidays but then everyone else gets to take those two so the christians get easter one day at christmas off but then you'll also I'll, i'll be looking in my calendar at work and then apparently i've got a tuesday off because it's harry raya for the indian community and then you can just go hang out in that part of town and they're having their celebration and they've, the government's decorated Little India and it's, you can have great food and there's a, there's a great vibe. Hmm. Or if you don't want to engage with it, you hop on a flight and you go somewhere else. <laughs> All right. You mentioned hotels. Best place to stay or best neighborhood to stay? It's a good question. So I came here, the only time I've come here is for work. Mm-hmm. And I've stayed in the hotel. So... My colleagues like staying in the on Sentosa Island because it's quite near our office. Um, if you want to be away from the city, if you want to have a more resort-based holiday, you can grab a hotel there. There's a couple of nice ones, including the one where the Trump-Kim summit happened. So lots of options there. So they've got all the international brands here. If you want a really iconic stay, choose to stay one night in Marina Bay Sands because that will give you access to the infinity pool at the top. You can't just go into the pool. You need to be a hotel guest there. Mm-hmm. So you could choose to stay one night there. The Fullerton is a, also a very iconic historical hotel that's on the waterfront, but they tend to be quite pricey. There are some interesting 
boutique hotels setting up as well. I stayed in one called Vandalust that's in Little India because I'm so passionate about Indian food and I wanted to be located there. It's a boutique hotel and each room is decorated really interestingly. There's a hotel that I'm waiting to see what happens with. It was the, it's one of the best hotels I've ever stayed in. It's called the New Majestic Hotel. It's a design hotel that was in Chinatown. So you'd open your shuttle, shutters and you'd be in an amazing part of town. It's a lovely building, great rooms, but it's secret what's happening to it now. So I hope <laughs> when your listeners listen to it, maybe something has changed with that. Excellent. Anything else we want to say before we get to some of our wrap-up questions? So just that, you know, like most of your time spent in Singapore will be in the southeast of the island. If you're mm-hmm. looking at a map now, something I found when listening, I'm a big fan of the podcast and it helps me when, listen, when the speakers talk about the geography. Spoken as a geographer. As a geographer, as a trained geographer, yes. <laughs> Changi Airport is in the east where you'll land. You'll hop it probably in a taxi. Once you land it into the town, it takes maybe 15 minutes. And the southeast of the island is where most of it is, the, most of the activity and time you'll spend is. So you'll only be going at maximum four or five stops on the MRT to get to most places you need to go or maybe a 10-minute drive. So it's really nice and compact, which is why I'm recommending you can get so much done the itinerary here. Along the river, there are lots of hotels to choose from. And also on Beach Road, that's where there's some big international chains of hotels that you can choose from that are relatively new. I, it's funny, when you look at Beach Road on a map, it's called Beach Road, but it's nowhere near the beach because Singapore is literally grown. They have <laughs> sure. reclaimed land from the ocean. So you can be staying on Beach Road. You might, if you've got a tall hotel room, see a beach. But that just illustrates how Singapore has been growing and developing. That's all relatively new reclaimed land. Hmm. Interesting. Well, and a lot of buildings in Singapore are tall. I think, I think would it be fair to say that most Singaporeans live in high-rise? Oh, no question. So I think the stat is something like 90% of the housing is owned by the government. Like very early on when hmm. Lee Kuan Yew was building the nation, he decided no one should go without good housing. And he realized that people, to modernize the country, um, people needed to live vertically, which is one of the most sustainable ways you can live. It's, it's mm-hmm. a much better environment to live upwards than outwards and drive to suburbia. So the housing is very much controlled by the government. And yeah, when you get married, you're entitled to apply for one of these houses, which are a really high standard. And, and people live, they're called HDBs. You might hear your taxi driver refer to that housing development board. Hmm. And majority of Singaporeans live in in one of those. Excellent. So it's funny. So I find Singapore like a contrast because it lists as top of the world in one of the best places to do business and start a business. It's very capitalist. You'll see that all the banks are there. But also that it's quite strict. The conduct expected of people like to to behave well and not drop litter or trash Mm -hmm. is very high. So the fines are high for misbehavior. Um, but you don't see police anywhere because it's just so self-policed and enforced. Mm-hmm. Something that makes me laugh, actually, is go to some shops and vendors don't even have shutters. The way you'll know their shop is closed is because they put a, a chain in front denoting that they are closed and they just put a blanket over their stop. And this is even Starbucks does this in some of their, their outlets. They're just like, hey, please just don't take our stuff. <laughs> because in Singapore, there just is no crime. Like I had the stat, there was a couple of hundred days last year where there was no reported serious crime so it's just a very safe place to navigate around at night and very trusting so it's, it's a really interesting so your visitors may come away thinking they've just visited the city of the future it's green it's safe it's modern uh, it's a really interesting place well and you gave us one of our wrap-up questions how about the other one you're standing in the prettiest spot in singapore where are you standing and what are you looking at you're looking at lao Pasat or telok Ayer market where i told you to go on the first day because it's this beautiful 
Victorian age building mm -hmm. that they've preserved and kept. So it looks beautiful. And then you just tilt your head up and you see these skyscrapers just standing around it. Really incongruous, really demonstrates the heritage and the mix of Singapore between old and new. Um, and it's great that they're preserving the Hawker Centres like that. Excellent. If we wanted to summarize Singapore in three words, what three words should we use? Food melting pot. Ah, excellent. Excellent. And and you could do those separately or together. It's either a food melting pot or it's about the food and it's a melting pot. Melting pot, comma food, food, comma melting pot. <laughs> It'll work solely. Mix of people. Definitely you see the Chinese influence. It's may, people will recognize it as a, maybe a, a Chinese country, but yeah, English speaking, mix of foods, uh, super interesting. Excellent. Our guest again has been Ashley Hall. Ashley, thanks so much for coming on Amateur Traveler and sharing with us your love for Singapore. Thanks so much for having me. Keep up the awesome work. With that, we're going to wind this show down since it's been a long one. And if you have any questions, send an email to host at amateurtraveler.com or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at amateurtraveler.com. If you want to sponsor the show, use that same email. And thanks so much for listening.